Alright, welcome back to the episode of Let Me Tell You. So, we had some technical difficulties to start the show. Facebook won't let me log in. So, I'm recording this in audition. I'm basically doing the show just to myself. No one's listening, so you won't get those little random moments where I respond to the four people who are listening to the show every time. So, no. Welcome back to the not live stream on Facebook, but I'm in Pullman, aka P-Town, aka The Promised Land. It is finals week here in the great metropolitan area known as Pullman. For me, this week is actually kind of easy and really painless. Not really finals week. It's more like a, just a generic light week of schoolwork. I have to write a couple pages on a couple movies I watch and then do a podcast about that. Then produce a five-minute broadcast story with a group. It's a chill week. But let, let's get into the sports stories. No one cares about my finals week schedule. So the main focus of this is clearly the NFL draft this week. But I'm not going to do the traditional... NFL draft talk that you come to expect, and maybe some people like. I am, I'm a member of the Mallard Militia. I'm not a fan of the traditional draft talk. I do not find draft talk fascinating. The traditional, and the, I'm going to break down what is traditional in a minute, but let's talk about what happened. So this week marks the eighth. So last year, Des Patman was drafted in the sixth round by the Colts. This year, no Cougar was selected in any of the seven rounds in the over 200 possible picks, no one from Washington State was selected. There was Boise State. Michigan State didn't have a player selected either. First time in 80 years was absurd. So our eight-year streak was snapped, but we still have a 44-year streak of a player signed, thanks to Oscar Dragicevich III. Who's Oscar Dragicevich? Well, I'll tell you. I'll break it down for you. He's a punter. He was our punter. So in this draft... During the first six rounds, there was one player selected out of Georgia, Georgia Tech. The first seven rounds, I'm sorry, the whole draft. Presley Harvin III out of Georgia Tech was selected. And there have been only eight punters selected total. I think the highest picked one was probably for the Seahawks, Michael Dickerson out of Texas. He was the only punter to leave school early because he was that good at punting, which is absurd. I, I find that stat crazy every time you hear it. I'm so good at kicking the ball. I'm going to turn down my free degree. I'm just going to go make a couple million kicking a ball. It's crazy. It's like Pat McAfee level good. So Oscar, the realtor and our punter, signed as an undrafted free agent. He is the Cougars' all-time leading leader in punting average at 50, 45.7 yards per punt. So he can boot the ball pretty far. I'm not going to lie. He punts it with a lot of strength. Then he's won. He's been on the Ray Guy award list twice. Pretty darn impressive. Ray Guy, one of the best punters and one of the players who's played the, who played in the NFL the longest. He played 20 plus years. It was absurd. So he's on the Ray Guy list twice. Didn't He was cheated out by a bunch of other punters, by two other punters. I disagreed with them. Oscar statistically had a really good year, but the issue is in the Mike Leach system, he, you don't kick the ball a lot. So, he signed with the Carolina Panthers for seventy for seven thousand dollars on the signing bonus. So not a not a not a lot of cash in the context of the NFL. For any person, seven thousand dollars a lot of cash. According to the Seattle Times, seven thousand dollars is a signing bonus. Look, I I think this is a not a not the ideal situation because the Panthers obviously already have a punter. So I don't, it's very difficult to find a situation where you don't have a punter already on the roster. But out of all the situations, Joseph Carlson, out of the original USC, South Carolina, original USC, woo, 
is the punter on the roster, another undrafted free agent, who in college, Oscar had better numbers than Joseph Carlton did. But if we're being real, I mean, the numbers that matter is basically just the fact that it's the NFL numbers. And Joseph Carlton was a pretty good punter. He was fourth in the NFL in total punts inside the 20-yard line, which that is, for those of you who didn't know, and I don't know why you wouldn't know this, the goal of a punter is to kick the ball as close as you can to the end zone without getting the ball in the end zone, forcing a touchback, which will bring the ball up to the 25-yard line. So he was fourth in achieving his goal as a punter, basically. He's a very good punter, a solid punter. You would not be upset if the Panthers kept Joseph Carlton for five, six years. But Oscar... Oscar's got a cannon attached to his leg. I mean, just a big cannon. He just, boo! It goes far, very far. Oscar punted the ball 78 yards last year. That was the second longest of any punter in the country. Eighth or seventh all-time in WSU, which is really impressive that we have seven or eight people who have punted the ball farther than that. Now, let's talk about some other Cougars or former Cougars who could have been drafted this year but weren't. So Tay Martin, a wide receiver, is taking advantage of the NCAAs. The only good thing the NCAA ever has done, which is the super senior rule in college, where if you're on the roster during the pandemic of a team, you have an extra year of eligibility, blah, 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 as long as you weren't a freshman this year. Tay Martin will be coming back to Oklahoma State for another year. He transferred, if I'm, this was a, about a year ago, he transferred because there's a lot of uncertainty about playing time. If the Pac-12 would actually play, he wanted to be. He wanted to get drafted, move closer to his daughter. He wanted to get drafted to achieve a goal, obviously, but also to provide for his younger daughter, who I believe is three or four almost at this time. So he's closer to his daughter. He's from Louisiana. So Oklahoma is clearly closer to Louisiana than Pullman is to Louisiana. So that definitely was a factor. But he was backing up an All-American wide receiver who is no longer there. So he showed he can... He made plays. He had 15 total catches for 140 yards during the entire season. But he had a breakout performance in the Cheez-It Bowl where they beat, where Oklahoma State beat number 18 Miami with six catches for 73 yards. So he had almost half of his yards come in one game. So he shows you can put up the numbers. He's a great wide receiver. He's built like he should be a phenomenal wide receiver. And it was fantastic. He dominates. He plays very well in the Cheez-It Bowl. We won the Cheez-It Bowl with, with Gardner. So he has a lot of Cheez-It Bowl merchandise. That's really a lot of merchandise, actually, if you think about it. Who wears a bunch of Cheez-It merchandise? Who knows? But, and also according to Oklahoma State's football website, he had an impressive spring, so there's a good chance he'll be a starter. Put up some numbers in the Big 12. Hopefully that gets him a draft, give him a chance to make a roster. He needs to. Obviously, you want the guy to... He's trying to make a living for his daughter. You respect that. That's fantastic. That is what you should do. But another player coming off for the 2020... Other Cougs in the 2022 NFL Draft. Obviously, Coug fans can breathe a collective sigh of relief. Two of our best players are back. They are back. Max Borgie, one of the best running backs in the country. Please don't come back with me with Max Borgie. He's not a top wide receiver in the country. I'm not going to listen to that argument. There's not an argument you can give me that it may be plausible. The only thing you can say is, oh, I wouldn't put him that high because he's injury prone. Well, because he was injured last year? No. He showed that he was. He came back from the injury and it was totally fine. He had 91 yards just like that. Boom. 
So, no, Max Borgie is one of the top, is a top 10 running back, plus you add in the fact that he is the best pass-catching wide receiver in the country, running pass-catching running back in the country. That's a whole other conversation. He is so good. He is what the NFL is looking for. He is a six-foot-tall, shifty running back. Well, he's 5'11", probably. He's a shifty running back who can catch the ball, and he's really good. The only downside is he's a senior, so he's 22. I, I never understood that. Oh, no, he's 22. He's so old. Let's say he plays 10 years. He's 32. Great. Not that, that old, even in the NFL. And then, obviously, there's another Dion McIntosh, the dual-headed monster. We saw he can play in Borgie's absences. He put up back-to-back 100-yard games. So the dude can ball. So that can help also, with Borgie's success, that can also help generate more touches for Dion McIntosh and help him possibly get drafted. We want to see the guy get drafted. Why wouldn't we? That's fantastic. And obviously, Abe Lucas, he's been put on the Outland Trophy, which is the top uh, offensive lineman in the country. All Pac-12, second team as a sophomore, junior. And he would have, he was believed to be a, he was a projected first team all Pac-12 for last year, but sadly, we only played three games. It's really hard to give a guy an all Pac-12 first team when he only plays three games and there are a bunch of other teams who played more. But look, he is the best tackle, best offensive lineman, period, in the Pac-12. There's not a debate. He was always considered second or third behind Penny Sewell, who was just drafted. Penny Sewell is gone. So that worry is over. He's done. Finito. He is number one. That's fantastic for him. Now, Penny Sewell opted out, was drafted. Penel Sue. I'm sorry if I'm butchering his name. That's how I heard it pronounced on draft day. I hope the draft people got it right. So Abe Lucas is the best wide receiver. Uh, tackle coming back. He was, surprisingly, right before draft day, he was still on a notable draft website's projections to be a third-round pick when he said he wasn't going in the draft, which is strange because it feels like the notable website should have said, oh, it's not going in the draft. Let's fix that. No, they didn't. So he, he was believed to be a... NFL-worthy, NFL-talent-level offensive lineman, which is good. Could have declared this year a lot of the knock was him not on physical attributes. He's built like an offensive lineman. Teams aren't worried about that. In a Seattle Times article, it was it was more between the ears. He had some mental issues to work out. Like, he might not be as – have a football IQ, I guess. I don't really – I don't really know that you play offensive line. I'm pretty sure the NFL coaches can coach better than – the Nick Rolovich offensive line. I mean, not not a dig at the offensive line coach here at WSU. I'm sure he's a fine offensive line coach. But the NFL was a step up. The expectations are the coaches are better. So he should be able to coach a player better, right? I mean, that, that makes sense to me. Maybe I'm just crazy and I, I don't know. But it seems to be that he is really good offensive lineman. I mean, he was the second-ranked Second-best pass-blocking tackle in the country, according to Pro Football Focus in 2019. Now, that was great. Showed he can pass-block with the best of them. He had to pass-block a lot for Mike Leach. Air raid, you rarely ever ran the ball. But now, with this run-and-shoot offense, this is what I like that he stayed an extra year. He can prove to people that in the run-and-shoot, he can run-block as well. 
He needs to show he can run block because he has zero experience showing run blocking. And in the NFL, you don't want a guy who can only pass block. That's just impractical. You don't want to tackle who can only do one thing. It just seems kind of like you're asking for trouble. Well, we have this guy. He's really good at passing, but this is a running situation. Oh, we got to pass. up. Oh, there's the Super Bowl. No. So this is good for him. He can show he's a very talented offensive lineman. This is the best situation for him. He's already proved he can pass block. Now he needs to prove he can run block. And I think he has a good chance of being a day day two or early day three, early day two, or early day three. Either one of those. I think he can. I think he'll be the best tackle in the Pac-12. I don't really know the 2022 offensive lineman projections yet. It's a little early to look at that. But I don't see for a reason, honestly, why I couldn't go in the first round if he if he shows he is the best tackle. Which I truly, this is not some Cougar homerism. This is, he is statistically one of the top offensive linemen in the country. In the country. Just because he plays in Pullman doesn't mean he's not good. So let's get back to our last Cougar-centric topic. So baseball. Thank you for Bobby Allworth for hooking me up with the last Minute press pass. I appreciate it. It shows I'm getting some recognition here in Pullman. One of the top media sources for all things Cougar. You're welcome, fans. If you're listening to the show, you clearly know that I am good source. I'm kidding. No. So the Cougars have the fourth most road wins as of last week on the road at 15. So that's fantastic. We went on the road. And the rest of our games are at home. You should win the majority of your games at home. So the schedule is setting the Cougars up. To have a nice little home reprieve, if you will. Allow them to win as many games as possible. So they've won three of the last four Pac-12 series, which is great. That doesn't happen to us often. And it's nice because we beat Oregon soundly. The Oregon Duckies? The Duckies, yes, the Duckies, you heard me right. The Duckies are the number nine team in the country. So Friday we sucked. We were horrendous, bad, bad, bad. I'm so happy I didn't go to that game on Friday. My Friday night was so much better. I mean, I didn't really do much. But my Friday night was so much better than the Cougars' Friday night because they lost 0 for 13. They went, they lost 0 to 13. I mean, you went, oh, geez, this is just another another time the Cougars can't win. They're not going to do anything. They're losing the ninth team. You know what? Brian Green's squad said, nope, we're bouncing back. We won 11 to 1. Oh, yeah, see this? This Cougar team might be for real. Nah, they're not for real. Oh. It's a possibility. Sure, it's a possibility. And then you know what? They said, Walker, come to the game. Come on. Come to the game. Okay, I guess I'll go to the game. Didn't look great. Did not look great. The first two innings gave up three runs, three to nothing. Great, we're going to lose another series to the Ducks. Another couple years of ineptitude and, and, and just nothing happening in the Palouse and the Pullman region. But you know what? Tristan Peterson... The grad transfer was supposed to be hitting 50 bombs a game. Finally started hitting a dinger. All the way to center field. Got the offense started. Then boom, hitting a couple more runs. Going deep in our bullpen. Grant Taylor. Ah, the sophomore from Moretta, California. Coming in and laying down. Throwing the cheddar down the middle. Striking some fools out. Bases loaded. Oh, it was a beauty to watch. I only stayed for seven innings. Just three hours of baseball. I mean, I love baseball. But when it's windy out, it's not as enjoyable to watch four hours of baseball. I mean, baseball is really fun, but four hours is a lot in the wind. Not enjoyable. So then, 
after Tristan Peterson hit a home run, Colin Montez has the walk-up song El Chapo right before he gets to play it. He says, I am a god, and then boom. I was thinking, every time I hear that song, I go, Colin Montez better hit a, frick, a freaking home run. Freaking home run. The second he does it, I am the god. <laughs> Dinger to him. Hold on, let me think. Okay, so here I am. I'm trying to envision where I was in the park. It's driven to far right center field. I got the ball. I found it after the game. Home run. Oh, beautiful. I still have Colin Montez's dinger from dinger from last year against Niagara. Now, hear me out. I have a comparison to make. This might sound a little crazy and a little weird, but just listen and don't judge. This baseball team is very, very similar to the men's basketball team. Why? Well, clearly, the freshmen are big impact. We don't have nearly as many wins as we do without F.A. Abogedi and Deshaun Jackson and T.J. Bombo a little bit and Andre Jakomowski. But if you want to pick a freshman who is most impactful, you have to say F.A. Even though I'm not the biggest F.A. Abogedi fan. Not not personality-wise, but just I don't like how he disappeared. So, freshmen obviously making a big impact. We have Kyle Russell, a bunch of other little freshmen in the infield. But then there was a lot of winning in the beginning. So we had a great record. Just like the base, baseball team were 15-3 and three, or 10-3. and three, call, base Basketball team was 8-0, undefeated and outside of Pac-12 play. So high expectations. I, I fell into the trap of we're going dancing. And then once we started losing a couple Pac-12 games, I go, I, I don't know why I thought this, this was not a good team. It's a fine team, but not a great team. Not, nothing, nothing special. So they, they, we fell off towards the end, which is really disappointing. But then, boom, we beat Oregon, the Pac-12 champion. I believe they're regular season champions. And Oregon State, yeah, Oregon was regular season champions and Oregon State was postseason champions. Oh, that's weird. Huh, I just thought of that. So we beat Oregon to show that the future is bright and we have potential. Just like in baseball, we beat the number nine team of the country, Oregon. Big expectations for next year. I think for basketball... The only way you deem a, a season a success is March Madness. The only way you deem baseball a success, probably a trip to Omaha or at least a lot of wins. So, let's switch Let's switch gears, okay? Switch gears. Let's talk draft. Now, the NFL draft is a lottery. And the only appropriate way to describe draft picks are lotto tickets. They are scratchers. You, get, you buy one, you do not expect to win the lottery. You really don't. So I never understood this obsession with, we got to get it, we got to, oh, that team's so stupid, they gave up three first-round picks. No, correction. They did not give up three first-round picks. A first-round pick is not a guarantee of success, a guarantee of anything. A first-round pick is simply you have a player for five years instead of four years before they hit free agency. And if that player is really good, they're not getting to the five years. You're signing them to an extension after year two or three. So really, a first-round draft pick is just a player you think you should pay a lot of money for. And the instant winners, instant reaction, instant losers. No, there's no way of knowing who is a winner or who is a loser right off the bat. You have no idea. 
In 2018, Baker Mayfield was the first overall pick. He had a great rookie year, 26 TDs. But then there's another quarterback pick out of Wyoming. Gunslinger Brett Favre comparisons out the wazoo. Not wazoo, but the wazoo. Josh Allen, you might have heard of him. He had two very subpar years. 10 touchdowns to 11 interceptions his first year. 20 touchdowns to 9 interceptions. So he improved. But this year, he put up 37 touchdowns and 10 interceptions. And he led the Bills to their first playoff appearance in, what, 20 years? So it takes some players years to develop. One or two, or maybe they never develop. And there are plenty of opportunities, of examples, of players who don't who don't get who don't develop who aren't successes in the first round. So here's an example of a trade. Jared Goff was traded to the Lions for Matthew Stafford in exchange for two first round picks and a third round. So people said, oh the Lions are so stupid for trading two first round picks. Why? Well, besides the fact they traded for Jared Goff, but people are more upset the fact that they traded the first round picks than Jared Goff. Well, no, why what no. First round picks don't guarantee success. They don't do that. Jared Goff is a subpar quarterback, but at least you know what you're getting out of out of Goff. You're getting a subpar quarterback that you think you can fix. You clearly traded for him because you think you can fix him. Now, as much as I love Jared Goff because he bought me a sandwich when I was in middle school because we're from the same area, doesn't mean I think he's a good quarterback. But I'd rather have him than the possibility of some first-round picks. The first-round picks don't prove anything. They don't. There are more busts in the draft than there are successes, I would say. Jamarcus Russell. Can't miss quarterback from LSU. Can throw the ball on one knee, 70 yards down the field. Out of the league in four years. I mean, let's look look at this example. Uh, wide receivers. DK Metcalf. Yes, I know DK Metcalf is always pulled up and it's always the DK Metcalf example, but the, the example is valid. It holds water. It makes sense. DK Metcalf was the 64th overall pick. You know what? Let's just talk about the Seahawks in general. The Seahawks. Their top two wide receivers are DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. Now, can someone please tell me what round DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett were drafted at? Right, exactly. The second round and the third round. DK Metcalf was the last pick in the second round. The 64th overall pick and Tyler Lockett was a third rounder. There were eight other wide receivers selected above DK Metcalf. And the only one that I don't hate is AJ Brown, who was injured this year, but he's put over up over 1,100 yards over two years, and he was just injured, so that's not even horrible. It makes sense. He's the best wide receiver. And that was DK Metcalf's teammate out of Old Miss. So really, those two were scary. You did not want to play them on the field. They looked terrifying. They both were like muscles on muscles on muscles. They looked like they ate 
every other wide receiver on the team. They were scary people. So there are examples of first-round picks not working out. A first-round pick, a draft pick, doesn't guarantee anything. I don't know how many times I have to say this. Clearly, the Rams won the trade because they got a very, very, I got an above-average quarterback in Stafford, got rid of a crappy Jared Goff contract, and gave up some first-round picks. The first-round picks are a moot point. First-round picks don't get me excited. We see so many teams mismanage their first-round picks. I mean, heck, another Seahawks example I just thought of. The Seahawks, they pick horrible. They picked in 2016, Jermaine Effetti, offensive tackle, barely playing anymore. Rashad Penny, they just declined his first-round option, his fifth-year fifth option. Out of San Diego State, all-time leading rusher in college. All-time leading, all-purpose yards. Like, the Seahawks don't draft well in the first round. But, but my favorite pick, oh, was by the Bengals, the Bengals, if you will. Oh, it was so good. It was comedy, comedy, comedy. Ideas, Mio, it was fantastic. So, Joe Burrow, you select him at the first overall pick last year. He gets called from Roger Goodell's basement. You say, Joe Burrow, one of the coolest dudes from college football. I, I'm not going to lie. When he won the championship with LSU, that was fantastic. He's so cool. Sitting there smoking the cigar with Odell, looking just cool. Cool as can be. I mean, he just screamed, I am an NFL starting quarterback. No questions asked. No one would question that. You go, yep, no, Joe Burrow. He, tear, he tears his ACL. He's out for the year. You go, ah, ACL. That's a career-altering injury. Possibly. There's a chance Joe Burrow never returns to his form. Yeah, there is a chance. But you know what? The Bengals said, look, Joe, you're our guy. We're building our team around you. You're going to take us to the promised land. You know what they said? Put your ACL. Screw it. We don't need it. We don't need to draft the best offensive lineman in the draft. We're going to get you Jamar Chase. No, no, and I get the Jamar Chase hype. I really do. When he played at LSU with Joe Burrow, to win the national championship, he put up 1,700, almost 1,800 yards and 20 TDs. Now, that's fantastic. Those numbers are not going to be replicated easily. And that was in 14 games. Imagine what he can do with 16 games or 17 games now. It's 17 now. So I understand the hype. Boy, I want that hype. I, I, I get it. I get it. It makes total sense to me. The Bengals are banking on previous proven results and the chemistry to just re-emerge in the NFL. But let me tell you, a wide receiver is, I mean, first-round picks for wide receivers don't generally pan out. I mean, there's a huge history of them not working out. 2019, Nikhil Harry was the last pick of the first round by the Patriots. Everyone's saying it was a steal. He hasn't done anything. 2019, or 2018, the only one, Calvin Ridley panned out. Sure, fine. 2017, Cooper Cup, the NCAA's all-time leading leader in reception from Eastern Washington, one of the best players in fantasy football, especially for PPR, playing in the Rams. Third-round pick in 2016 is an absolute joke, an abomination, a complete laughing fact. Corey Coleman, first wide receiver taken. 
out of Baylor. 15th pick. Traded to the on the Browns. Traded to the Bills in that hard knocks video. Cut. He's gone. Will Fuller for the Texans. Cut. Josh Doxon. Out after two years. Gone. Laquan Treadwell. Hasn't been in the league for two years. Gone. Now, you know what's more valuable than a health than a really good wide receiver? A healthy gosh darn quarterback. And there's a reason why the NFL pays them a boatload of money. You see that Brinks truck over there? They back it up. Back it up. Back it up. NFL teams back up the Brinks truck to pay quarterbacks an absurd amount of money. Most of the time, they're not worth the salary. But, you know, that's why the going rate is $100 million. And they get they get paid. Just the average quarterback. $100 million. Should you tell your kid, you know what? If you want to make a lot of money, play quarterback. Don't have to be a good quarterback. Just be built. If you're jacked and you look like a quarterback, you'll get 50, 60 million just to be a bust. It's absurd. And they're often, the play, positions are often overdrafted. I mean, we saw Trey Lance. He played 13 college games and was the third overall pick to the Niners, who had just paid Jimmy G $120 million to be their quarterback. Granted, I said that Jimmy G trade was horrible, not going to pan out, and there's no guaranteed money, so they can cut him, no worries. But, dude. Not a lot of cash. Dak Prescott. Mr. Dink and Dunk. I'm going to throw the ball two yards out with the check down route for the Cowboys. $120 million guaranteed? That's why you pay your quarterbacks. But the Bengals said, nah, we don't follow that logic. That's absurd. Who would ever do that? Well, Bengals, you project. You protect Joe Burrow. You draft. You should have drafted Penny Sewell with the fifth overall pick. That was your left tackle and your quarterback pairing together for the next 10 years. He didn't give up a sack in the last time he played in college. I don't... I, I, I'm at a loss. Do you not hear me? I'm struggling to justify the, the draft pick. Like I, I get the Jamar Chase hype. I really do. But you protect your quarterback. That's my quarterback, T.O. You know what T.O. did? He protected his quarterback. And he's a wide receiver. And then you want to see an example of the... So the Chargers. They drafted Josh Herbert, another Oregon guy. You know, surprisingly, Oregon guys are good at football. They drafted Justin Herbert with the sixth overall pick. And they said, you know what? You're the face of our franchise. You're our guy. You are going to take us to the promised land 14 times over. But we saw what happened to Joe Burrow. You know what we're going to do? We're going to use our first-round pick on Rashawn Slater. Now is that? That's an offensive tackle from Northwestern. Does it mean he's going to pan out? No. But they're doing what you should do. You, you draft the offensive lineman. You draft him so you can protect your gosh darn quarterback. Are you serious? It's not brown. It's not brain surgery. You don't have a scalpel. You're not going through little brain cells trying to see what's the cause of addiction. You're just drafting the quarterback. You're drafting an offensive lineman to protect to protect the number one overall pick. Like, you're not you're not mad when Joe Burrow has no weapon to say, well, I mean he threw a touchdown, his wide receiver dropped it, but but that's on Joe. No. You protect Joe. Protect Joe. Now, don't come crying to me if Joey Burrow gets hurt. Now I don't want Joe Burrow to get hurt. But you passed on the tackle who for the past two years wasn't contention for the number one overall pick and could have easily been 
if there isn't an obsession with quarterbacks. But, but wait, does that mean quarterbacks are important? Yes! Darn it, they are the most important position. That's why they get overpaid. That's why quarterback is... That's why people want to play quarterback. When you're out here going for... When you're out here playing pickup football with your friends, you want the guy who can throw the ball. Like, we'll all play wide receiver. I like playing wide receiver. But quarterback's fun. You got to be the quarterback. And in that case, I don't want to get sacked every darn play. Marcus Mariota in Tennessee had the record for most sacks in a year. And that's why his career backtracked him. Because he got sacked every play. There was nothing you can do. You protect your quarterback. And you don't pass on what people believe to be a once-in-a-generational, once-in-a-generation offensive line tackle talent. I don't know how he fell that far to Detroit, but he did. Detroit got the steal of the draft, and this guy pans out, which I think he will. But let's talk about Trevor Lawrence versus Gardner Minshew. Now, am I really comparing the two? No. Trevor Lawrence is a much better quarterback than Gardner Minshew. Now, hold the phone, Wazoo fans, before you jump down my throat. Now, I I am a Gardner Minshew homer fanatic. I, I love me some Minshew. I really do. But Trevor Lawrence, out of every game, every show, every game I watch, he is the one quarterback I would mortgage the farm for. If there is a player who I would not trade it, if let's say the Packers offer me Aaron Rodgers, I'm not trading Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady. I'm not trading him for Trevor Lawrence. Now, if they offer me Mahomes, that's a whole different story. Or Russell Wilson. I truly believe Trevor Lawrence is a game-changing quarterback and will be as good as advertised. One of the best players ever scouted at the quarterback position, supposedly. Number one overall high school player. One of the first quarterbacks not to say, I've been doubted my whole life. No, Trevor. Thank thank you, you didn't, because you haven't been doubted your whole life. You're expected to do what you've done. And so far, you've done everything required of you to do it. You're fantastic. Good on Trevor. I mean, this guy is a quarterback. 6'6", golden locks. Looks like sunshine from... Remember the Titans. He's mobile for 6'6". He's very mobile. He had 500 yards his sophomore year, just on the ground. And he can throw the ball from the pocket. He beat Alabama as a true freshman. And after that game, people said, if you were allowed to be one and done in college football, this guy would have been the number one overall pick. He's that good. He's been consensus number one for the rest, for his entire year, his entire life. And he's that good. He is fantastic. There were Jags fans. That is that is part of, part of the reason why Urban Myers took the Jaguars job. Now, if he was just coaching Gardner Minshew, no, the job is not appealing. But when you get the man, Trevor Gosh darn, Lawrence, ah, that, ja- that Jaguars job is a lot more appealing. I mean, you saw he ran rough shot through the ACC, which people love the ACC, purely because of Clemson. He beat Bama. Now, I, I know he wasn't fantastic about LSU, but I think that was more on LSU just being a dominant powerhouse. I mean, dominant. You had the number one overall pick, Joe Burrow, with the best wide receiver core in the country, top defensive. I mean, that whole entire starting... The whole team for LSU in 2019 was drafted. All 22 players. So it was very good. But every other game he's played, every other playoff game, he's been amazing. 
It's been fantastic. Now, what does this mean for Minshew? Keep it. Don't bury the lead, my man. Don't bury the lead, my man. Now, he'll likely be traded. Why? Because he has value. He's extremely enticing as a backup. I still think when he played, he put up respectable numbers. The, the difference was he had a lack of weapons and a really, really bad defense that skewed his numbers. Now, people say a great quarterback can make up for a poor sporting cast. Sure. Now, if your name's Tom Brady, Drew Brees, Patrick Mahomes, Peyton Manning, sure, you can make up for a poor sporting cast. Minshew's not Tom Brady. And I don't think anyone even Minshew thought he's Tom Brady. But if he gets a bigger weapon, if he gets a better shot, let's say, I, I think an ideal situation would actually be the Vikings. I think this is, if he can get to the Vikings... He should aim to start before he's a backup. I mean, I think he has a he has a ten year career as a backup. Minshew's a fantastic backup. You feel confident with Minshew as your backup. You're ecstatic. You go, this guy is gonna kill it as my backup. But I want him to have another shot at starting because he put up good numbers as a rookie. He was he should have won Rookie of the Year. He got cheated out because of Kyler Murray hype. I can go on a ten hour rant about that. But look, Kirk Kirk Cousins on an expiring deal. He hasn't been great for the Vikings. They overpaid to get him, so they want out. The only people left on the roster are Jake Browning from UW. We can beat out Jake. Kellen Mond from this year's draft, Texas A&M. I don't think he's fantastic. And then Nate Sudfield. Like, there's not a lot of competition for him there. Great coaching staff. The Vikings historically do a good job coaching up quarterbacks. The weapons. You have Stephon Diggs. Oh, no. You don't have Stephon Diggs. Oh, my God. I totally forgot he traded the Bills. I just slipped my mind. <laughs> Stephon Diggs. You have Adam Thielen and at least... Dalvin Cook. So you have a, you have a number one rider, uh, you have a number one option in Adam Thielen, and one of the top four running backs in the NFL. Plus, purple people eaters. Basically, they're the purple people eaters. That defense in Minnesota is fantastic. So you give Minshew a chance to start again in a good situation. If he doesn't pan out, backup. That's a great career. You can make millions of dollars. It'd be cool to see him backing up in Seattle. I'm not gonna lie. But he should get one more shot before he just concedes to the backup role. He'll be good at the backup role, but he should really stick with starter. So, let's talk about this pick. The number 15th overall pick, Mac Jones. Viewed as a steal at number 15 to the Patriots. Now, you can just hear the evil Empire music playing. Boom, boom, ba-dum, boom, ba-dum, boom, ba-dum. Dun, 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 dun. Dun, dun. See, evil evil Empire music, Patriots. It's unfair. The Patriots, they go, everyone thought Cam Newton was going to be great. I, I didn't understand that. He just, Cam Newton, he wasn't great in Carolina. But, I mean, Jones, people are just assuming Jones is going to be the next Tom Brady. And they think, oh, Bill Belichick's so good, he drafted Jimmy G. Well, Jimmy G's a bust. And look, and then plus all the jokes about Mac Jones having a dad bod. Oh, it's, it's, they're hilarious because Mac Jones does not look like a quarterback. He has a full-on traditional dad bod. I mean, he looks like, oh, the meme where it says, Mac Jones in his suit. Please look these up if you haven't seen him. In his suit, looks like he's he's walking to a buffet trying to get seconds, but he's acting cool. Or he's going to present a pitch to the Shark Tank. Oh, it's fantastic. But no, I used to say, oh, I don't think Justin Fields is great because he transferred because he couldn't beat out Jake from in the NFL at Georgia. 
And, and that still bothers me. It bothers me. I'm not going to lie. That he's, I don't like the transfer portal. I, I like the players being able to transfer and be eligible immediately. I'm, I'm, most of the time, I don't have an issue with it. But when you transfer... No, I don't actually have an issue with him wanting to transfer. I think he's able to transfer whatever you want. Now, I think the reason behind his transfer is a little lame because he couldn't beat out Jake Fromming. And I get it. You don't want to spend years... You don't want to burn eligibility. No, I get it, but it still bothered me. But Matt Jones, come on. Does this not bother anyone else? I mean, the quotes from Nick Saban, Bleacher Report, Matt Jones' Wikipedia page. He was charged with driving under the influence by the Tuscaloosa County Sheriff's Office and also charged with an improper ID as a minor when he was a freshman in 2017, and that forced him. He was suspended. And he was forced to redshirt. Now, obviously, if you've listened to me here, you know my stance on underage drinking and DUI. I think you should be off the team. I made that very clear with Jane Delora. Now, it's not some scorned lover situation because I'm annoyed he didn't come on my podcast, which I don't know why you wouldn't, bro. I would have. I'm a homie. I am. I want. I'm not going to bash you on a podcast. I'm a cougar. Now, when you get charged with drinking under the age, thankfully, no one was hurt in both of these scenarios. That's what's important. I'm not going to hold back. So, my issue is, not that I don't think Mac is going to be a good quarterback, which I do think he's going to be a good quarterback. I think it's the fact that you selected him with the first overall pick. Not the first overall pick. In the first round, you took a first round selection. Now, when you pick a guy... In the first round, you're essentially saying this guy is the face of our franchise. He will be the quarterback, the player for the next 10 years, and we believe in him full-heartedly. We support him as a person, and that's good. You should support your first-round pick. You should support any of your players, but now I don't like that he got a DUI, and I hope he's grown and learned his person and changed because that's a horrible mistake. You don't want that happening again. But to me, it shows a level of irresponsibility that I'm just not a fan of and I don't think is worth the risk. Now, Mac Jones can be the next Tom Brady. But what the Patriots, to me, are saying is we're okay with the irresponsible 17-year-old taking the franchise. No, I get that he was not, he's not 17 anymore. People say, oh, that was when he was younger. Guess what? I'm 19. I'm 20. I'm, I'm 20 now. But you didn't see me as a freshman. Going out getting DUIs, getting hammered on the weekend, doing stuff that's stupid. I don't. I never understood that argument. Well, he sent out the racist tweet when he was 15. Great. I never sent out any racist tweets when I was 15. I didn't do anything stupid like that. Age doesn't necessarily exclude you from being responsible. When you say those things, you still say them. They came from you. You are responsible. When I was 15, there were, there were examples of people saying horrendous things. When they were younger. A lack of ignorance is not an excuse for breaking the law. Miles Leonard said a very offensive slur on a Twitch stream. And he lost. He's no longer going to be in the NBA. He got suspended, cut, traded. He's gone. He lost a $50 million deal, roughly. Because he claimed he didn't know what the word is. That's great, dude. You're a 30-year-old man. Learn what the word means. That's not, ignorance is not an excuse to avoid the law. Oh, I didn't know this was illegal. That's great. You still broke the law. So to me, the age thing, oh, he learned. That just, to me, that doesn't, that's not an excuse. 
I know plenty of people who don't do stupid things when they're 17. Just because you're young doesn't mean you get a free pass to do stupid things. If I got a free pass, I would have done a bunch of stupid things. But no, it comes to bite you in the back. And it just bothers me that he's just, we're just okay with this guy who is completely irresponsible. Now, what's to say? Maybe he's grown. Maybe he hasn't. What's to say with the money that you make, he's not less responsible. He has more power. Who knows? I, I hope that Mac Jones is more responsible. I really do. I hope he learned and grew from this incident. That would be good for him. But to me, as a Patriots, I wouldn't have picked him. I truly wouldn't have. Because you're saying you're endorsing the DUI. Maybe you talk to him and he goes, I've learned. That was the biggest mistake of my life. Good for you. But anyway, that's my spiel. Ignorance of the law is not an excuse. And my last point is, I just want to quickly touch on the Raiders. Not quickly, but I want to touch on the Raiders' draft history. Because I, I find it funny. So this year, the Raiders historically reach on players. Now, for those who don't know, reaching means you draft a player who might have been projected in the, let's say, 20th to 30th pick, like a late first round pick, early second. And you pick him at four. So, for example, the Patriot, the the Oakland Raiders at the time, the Raiders. Boom, 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 boom. That's Harry Potter. I don't know why I started saying Harry Potter. They pick Kellen Farrell out of Clemson at four when he was projected 15 to 25. So you had plenty of time. You could use one of your three other picks. Because they had a pick at 24, 4, and 27. So there were more possibilities to get him later that year in 2019. So you reach on him, you overreach. This year, they drafted Alex Leatherwood, an Alabama offensive lineman. Another Alabama player. Speak of the devil. At 17, Alex Leatherwood was not a consensus early round pick. He was not. He was a late first, early second, or even third round pick. Like, there was not a consensus, and it definitely wasn't 17. There are certain players that you didn't expect to drop out of the top 10, top 15. For me, that was Justin Fields. I thought it would be absurd if he fell out of the top 10. The Bears got him at 9, I want to say, 9 or 11. Kellen Farrell was a reach in 2019. Alex Leatherwood is a reach. And then you look back at their history. In 2016, they drafted Carl Joseph, who played, who never played a full season in the four years he was with them. Gary and Conley was the 24th overall pick. He was supposedly a top, the number one quarterback in the draft. He fell because a lot of off-the-field issues at Ohio State. He only played three years. He was traded halfway through the third and he's been out of the league. They overreached on him. People said, oh, you could have got him in the second or third round because of the off-the-field issues. But the Raiders reached. And the, the players that the Raiders reached for, I don't have a problem reaching for a player. I, I don't. Because I think if you truly believe a player is good, you take it. It doesn't matter what you give up because you're believing he is the face of your franchise. You're fantastic. But when you, but when the Raiders reach, they always suck. The players don't do well. I think the one exception was Khalil Mack, and then they traded him because they didn't want to pay him. And then last year, or yeah, last year, no, 2019, you draft Jonathan Abrams, safety from Mississippi State. You draft him at 27. Is that a reach? No, but it's just an example of the Raiders kind of slacking and not being great at their job. They, he's only played 14 games for the last two years and was out last year. He didn't play any. So he played one game his rookie year, 13 the next. And he was fine. Nothing special. Supposed to be an all-pro game-changing safety. Hasn't done it. So the Raiders just aren't good 
aren't a good drafting team. And we've learned that. Which is ironic because the general manager, Mike Mayock, and John Gruden came on every – they were draft analysts. They were the draft major draft analysts. They were up there with Mel Kuyper. And think about this. Their whole job is to analyze college players. They couldn't do it. They were bad. And John Gruden is the guy who preached Johnny Manziel. Johnny Manziel. you got to draft Johnny Manziel. Johnny Manziel is out of the league in a fan-controlled league, and he is he's fixed his life. He had a bunch of substance issues. He's turned around. Good for Johnny. But the two guys who the TV and NFL media was plotting, was, was putting on a pedestal as draft experts, turned out to suck when they had to put their money where their mouth is. So it was unfortunate. So that's my show. I'm sorry. Once again, it's the last show of the semester. I will try and keep it up sporadically throughout the summer, but there's not a ton of news going on. And obviously I couldn't use the KUGR page because Facebook was kind of tripping out and being weird. So that's the end, folks. Please check out my latest episode where I talk about the battle, the punting battle between Oscar and Joseph Carlton. So check out my podcast, Let Me Tell You, colon, WSU. It's available on Spotify, Apple, I, Apple, Stitcher, Podcasts, or all the platforms you can find podcasts. Check it out. Remember, be a good sport always, and be a good sport always. Go Cougs. It's finals week for Cougs. Don't forget to do your homework. That's it. Enjoy the rest of your day, and I will see you as a junior.